all machine learning, and we've talked about this before, all machine learning at the end of the day is really just, it's an algorithm to find signal. Now, if we're just looking at, I don't know, like uh, just some data that's just like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and that's just increasing by one every time. That pattern's really easy to find. So if you were to run like a linear regression on that, you're just gonna find that it matches the data perfect because the pattern But when the pattern becomes more complicated, you know, like maybe the numbers are alternating, or we get into like random forest and stuff like that. But when you're looking at this like visual data, like if you take a feed from a camera and just turn it into bytes and put it onto the wire, um, the numbers, they're not going to be sequential. They're not going to follow any, any pattern, like any sort of series kind of pattern. It's going to be the pattern of the real world, which is, well, it's very messy, right? Yeah. And so this is where deep learning comes in. And, and even getting into the specifics of like how a neural net, you know, like structuring a neural net with the layers, you got high level features and you have low level features. So a high level feature would be like, you know, let's say we're looking at cars. A high level feature could be that you've got these big kind of boxy shapes that are moving around. Yeah. So finding that and the way we do that training data and you can't just you know you can't just point like a, a machine learning even a deep learning algorithm at at just data with no goal that's where like unsupervised learning is coming in to just try and find groups in the data um but like deep learning problems this is one of the hard things of actually getting into that specific problem. It's not just saying, you know, I, I have traffic, tell me what to do. It's, I have traffic, identify the license plate number. Or I have, uh, or even kind of like phone recordings or something like that. I'm just saying, I have audio recordings. Um, tell me what this person is talking about, I guess. Um, those problems tend to be really, they're really hard. They're very, they're very specific. I know, uh, one, one project that I came, uh, came upon recently was, uh, detecting nudity in, in video content. And he's like, to do that with just a normal, like a random forest algorithm, it's just not going to capture the amount of detail like the, the algorithm just doesn't have that, that kind of learning I guess it could if you had like a ton of like like maybe multiple models or if you just had like uh, maybe like, you might capture to the high level but those deep learning algorithms they're going to capture those low level features and like find correlation non-trivial correlations Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I guess that's a, uh, a 
over to there. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense because uh, you know uh, uh, the high level features are going to be something that can be really discreet. Uh, it could be engineered. You know, you're kind of aware of it. But the low level, the stuff that's uh, where it's clustering together and it's finding these correlations inside those mm-hmm. hidden layers, that's the part that becomes kind of exciting because, uh, uh, you know, you can't know exactly what those features are. I mean, it could be uh, it could be contrast in textures. Right. Um, it could be. uh it could be pigments, like a certain percentage of pigments, and it says, "Okay, th- this is a skin tone," you know, um, mm-hmm. and just use a you know some sort of s- sampling. Well, yeah, and, and these like a lot of times it'll they'll even go into the detail of trying to find the angles of the objects. Like that's what they do with faces is you're you're really trying to get all those a- angles down. Like their eigen faces is what they are. And then you got to compute a delta between the faces to see if it's actually, you know, close to the trained data or not. Oh, I didn't realize that's what facial recognition was. I always thought there was certain uh, key points on the face. Um, I didn't know how they actually determined where those key points were. But let's say, like, they took 32 points on the face. I didn't realize that they were calculating angles and then looking to see, kind of like you were saying, a, a signal. Uh, a signature that said, okay, based on these angles, this is David, this is Bob, this is Jim, you know, mm-hmm. and they, and it gives you like some sort of confidence based on those angles. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. I mean, and what you're talking about there, that, that signature and your face has a, fi- a fingerprint at the end of the day. If your face changes angles, you've got a different face. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, if, if, the, if the shape of your face actually changes, you've got a different face. So, you know, facial recognition, it's, and going into pigments and things like that, somebody's pigment can change over time. Um, you know, the shape of their face may change a little bit, but the relationship between, I guess, your chin and your eye isn't going to change much um there's, there's things like that and you can do just basic machine learning looking at somebody's face and comparing the pixels you can do that so what, one thing, thing i've heard is like with the deep learning is that you have to have known outcomes um can you explain what that means is uh, uh when they say known outcomes do they have are they talking about predictions they have? So you have kind of a black box where you have a, uh, a set of data and then based on that data, uh, you had no one outcomes. Like for example, if, uh, if you are doing like your taxes, for example, mm-hmm. if you, you do this box, this box, this box, then the sum of those two boxes should be this box and you can make kind of a prediction uh, did uh, you know looking at different tax forms whether or not maybe that form was correct or incorrect because you know the the, the given outcomes because it's programmed in the algorithm uh, and then you know you have variance based on you know all, all these different conditions like deductions and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, 
Can you talk, talk about how those outcomes are used with uh, deep learning? So as far as like uh, known outcomes, if they're, if they're suggesting that the algorithm is going to discover the outcome, like while it is, I mean, just, just run it. I mean, the algorithms, they don't learn while they're predicting things. I mean, you can feed data back into it and retrain a model, but the algorithms, they just, you know, once they're, once they're done, they're, you know, that's a, that's a model and you use that model and you can track performance over time to see if it's getting things wrong. But if they're suggesting that they're, you're like, while gathering the data, retraining it, and it's discovering like the positive outcome as it goes, uh, maybe you could find a problem set where that actually works, such as um, tax forms where the numbers, you know, there's, there's a correlation between the, uh, I don't know, the, the rules. Fi finding rules, though, like discovering the underlying rules of systems is one of those hard problems. Mm. And you can't really do it while you're constrained to those same rules. It's... It's pretty tough. Um, you, you can do it in like certain contexts, but as a general form, it is impossible. Now, mm. as far as known outcomes go, you do need to train the model where you know, say like a fraud is a good one. Um, like figuring out if somebody is committing fraud while they're filling out a form, you can take in the input from their mouse movements, the timing between their keyboard strokes, um, and the time they spend on the page, the time they spend uh, with their cursor hovered over certain positions on the page, you can detect whether they're committing fraud, but you must know, like you have to train the model on what is fraud and what is not. So it has to have a contrast. So it just says, okay, this is a, this is a, uh, a positive behavior. This is a negative behavior. If I see features that, fall into negative behavior, I you know, classifies as a negative right. outcome. Okay. Right. Now, now, one of the problems that you get with um, having the model, like learning as it goes without any other inputs, um, is it'll, like, let's, uh, let's imagine the case, how should I word this one? Um, like if the model is ever relying on its own predictions, that's that's not good. That's that's just positive feedback. <laughs> oh, the model okay. will never be able to know if it's getting like false positives and false negatives. Right. If it's relying on its own predictions to predict future content, that it's dependent on the inputs that it was given before. Is that part of the problem with the neural net is let's say it's a, dr a car and it's driving uh, and it doesn't detect, you know, uh, uh, doesn't detect an object correctly. Is that because it didn't know a contrast? It didn't know that if it saw some sort of like, let's say like you had a person who was skateboarding mm -hmm. and had never been trained on skateboarding, been trained on bicycle riders and uh, pedestrians, mm -hmm. but then it sees someone skateboarding and it doesn't know, well, what is that? Well, yeah, if, if the model's never seen that input before, it, it won't have that info. Hmm. 
it, it needs to have seen that um, in the during the training process, or it would need to go through a process of you know gathering other data, getting that prepared, and then pushed into another training process to generate a new model. Um, and you could use the existing one as a starting point for that, um, but that's not that's not strictly speaking a deep learning process. That would just be another process for writing software. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that that's kind of what I was thinking too. Is that with these uh, uh, neural nets, is that you'd have a hierarchy. I mean, you'd have one model possibly feeding into another model, and you would have a series of models. And maybe at the top level, you have more discrete programming. Mm -hmm. uh, something like a linear program where based on how these uh, neural nets are discovering and, you know, generating certain outcomes, you would have something that's more discrete for determining, you know, programmatically how to, how to handle something. Uh, you, you, can you talk on a little bit of high level on TensorFlow? What is that product? Um. Yes, yeah, so TensorFlow is a project that was launched by Google a few years ago now. Um, and it's it's a deep learning framework that you can use. Um, you don't have to use it for deep learning. Like uh, There's a few other things. That you, you can do a lot of things with it. It's, it's a general purpose tool. Um, they've even got a lot of stuff where you can pull in images. They've got a lot of tooling around that and utilities and even video, I believe. I think that's just out of the box. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, they've got a ton of tutorials on it. So you can pretty much, you know, install the library. It's, it's in Python, so you can do it with pip or whatever. Um, and, you know, so do you have tutorial. to set up your data? Let's say like, uh, have you ever, have you saw, you've probably seen the, the classic, uh, machine learning problem where you have to solve the who will survive on the Titanic. So they yeah. give you a spreadsheet because they know, okay, your age, they know what cabin you were in. Yeah. Uh, the, and they knew the, you know, the outcome based on where you were on the Titanic, right? Mm -hmm. And so you just, you could, you can feed in, you know, what possibly if you were a certain age and you were a certain part of the Titanic, would you survive or not survive? How would you how would you feed that into TensorFlow? Um, I don't specifically remember the individual calls, but you there is a tool that you can load in a CSV and then okay. pipe it into a training process. And from there, you can also you know you'll generate the model. You can also make another pipeline that'll run through new scenarios so you can make your predictions. But there's a load CSV and all that stuff that's pretty common among just about anything machine learning related hmm. tensorflow it'd be more like um, loading in image data and then making a new prediction off of uh, making a prediction off of new input it's really hard to prepare that data though um, if you want to do it to detect like zebras versus horses you're going to need like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of images that you've sorted through by hand 
and said, like, this is a horse, this is a zebra, this is a horse, this is a zebra. Hmm. Um, that you can download to do, like, detecting letters, like text, from just images. But even those things, the data prep involved, it, it is pretty involved. Like, you can't just point things at deep learning and say, figure it out. You're, yeah. The algorithms, they'll find signal. That's what they do. They'll find signal in whatever. <laughs> or they'll get as close as what you can get. But data prep is still a big part. Well, like if you, you look at uh, cats, that's one uh, I don't remember if I talked to you about uh, the problem with it, sorting out cats. But if, if you take a cat and a dog, there's some dogs that kind of look like cats. And that if you put a cat near a pillow, it's got to figure out, okay, that's a pillow. That's a cat sitting on a pillow. Mm -hmm. That's a cat that looks like a dog, but it's not a dog because it has certain uh, maybe features in the eye formation that, you know, dogs don't usually have round eyes. Right. Right. Uh, So it's looking for certain, like you were saying before, uh, things that distinguish or different differentiate the cat from the dog how well is the signal processing that determining things like that things like that are going to be quite a bit easier because you can pretty much just feed in you know hundreds of pictures of cats and then it'll it'll figure out what a cat looks like (laughs) (laughs) and from there it can be pretty much just pixels you probably want to want to reduce those images at some point just because you know if you take an 8k image and you're taking like i don't know you've got 20,000 pictures of cats and they're all 8k images you're not you're not looking at a short training time but yeah it'll it'll find stuff like that um and there's people that would know better there probably you know there's a lot of people that know better than me about maybe some of the optimizations that you could make on training cat data. So, yeah, I know. I hope that answers the, the question well enough. Yeah, I, that's what I was, you know, thinking too, is that that's what the uh, advantage of the deep learning is, is uh, that, you know, there's so much data now that's being collected, you know, all from social media and, you know, the internet, uh, that the, 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 the nets are actually feeding off that and, and ingesting a lot of that. And then you've got these models that you can download now that are pretty good, you know, recognizing cats. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> well, the more data, the nice thing about the deep learning is that the more data you got, you know, it'll, the, it'll find that signal. And so the, you just feed in more data, the better. You got to be really careful about not feeding in false data, though. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the things that happened with Google a couple of years ago was uh, you heard about the gorillas thing. It couldn't accurately dis- um, differentiate between a gorilla and a person who had dark skin, and they got in trouble for that. And it's it's a lot of it breaks down to you know, those very small features, like imagine your cat training data, but 
put just a picture of a cat into another image and see if it'll differentiate between this is a picture of a cat and a real cat. If you didn't have that in your training data, probably not going to be able to catch it. Well, how, how are robots doing their image recognition then? Because I've seen, like, what you know, along assembly line, you know, they're quickly picking up objects and uh, the objects can be all different, you know, angles and, you know, it can figure out how to pick it up, put it together, assemble. I mean, it seems really dexterous. Well, these robots, they're not reading through, uh, like, an instruction manual and then assembling something new, are they? I would imagine that they uh, are not. You know, I, it looked like that for the ones I saw were that they were just picking up things and putting them in boxes, you know. Mm-hmm. But the objects coming down the conveyor belt were in all different positions, so they had to recognize, you know, how to actually pick up the object, change its arm, you know, change the angles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it looked like it was recognizing the object. So, I mean, uh, just with like, I guess in regards to maybe like uh, giving the robot a goal of saying, please pick up this object. There's a lot of inverse kinematics that goes into moving an arm that has multiple joints to pick up an object. Um, but that is a calculation that can be done. And, it, and so that recognition with the object I guess at a high level and to simplify the problem, you know, looking, saying, all right, we need something to identify that there is an object and it knows, like it can look at it from the, just the feed from the cameras that it has, identify the different angles of it. It knows the angles of its own arm. It now just needs to do a calculation to grab it so there's inverse kinematics to do that on top of like image recognition and things like that now there have oh, also been so it kind of overlays uh it figures out what the inverse kinematics is by a calculation figures out what the angles are and so it's not that difficult of a problem actually to pick up the object it just has to identify the object then just figure out the calculation on those angles and then it, it would know how to Uh, move the arm into that position to pick it up right and then of course all of the time that you're going to have to spend on the actual robotics and making sure that you understand the problem correctly and things like that so in terms of it being an an easy problem it's an easy problem at a high level but productionalizing that would still be a, a very involved problem now there are there are a few, um, I guess, cases where they've tried to give uh, robots more abstract goals. Things like, um, you know, figure out a way of moving from this position to this other position. Now, the AI, AI is very involved in this case of... Uh, I guess, first of all, the robot, its brain has to have the information from all of its, uh, like, its actuators. So the actuators are when the robot decides to make an action, it's going to move its arm. And it may have, like, I'm going to move my arm by 30 degree. And maybe that arm also has a 
that's an action, and the robot needs to know the rules of its actuators. And then it also needs to know the inputs that it's getting. So those are its perceptors. Hmm. And there have been a few cases where they've given the robot a perceptor of like its position and saying, look, it just needs to get to this position, which maybe is walking five feet. In the robot, the limbs that, it, that they give it for its actuators are just different kinds of limbs. And so they've done it with like a spider. And they've said, Okay, given, and you do have to encode the holes into the robot, or else do stuff, you know. Um, it can't, it can't have any way of knowing what is a better state or a worse state. Heuristic. The heuristic is just a measurement that is taken. It tells the robot how far it is from where it's trying to get to, and that doesn't have to be like a spatial distance it can be temporal it can be based on distance it can be based on uh its own you know its own measurement of its of its state things like energy so naturally the robot could find a very short path to get to where it's going because it takes a lot of energy the robot needs to understand that how to make that measurement that heuristic it can't just make it on its own that's where the human stuff comes in is saying, all right, this is how the robot is going to understand its current state. Now, sorry, did I, did I explain that all right with the robot needs to be able to know, like it needs to know how to understand its inputs and turn that and like compare that against the goal. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, and I've been thinking that also it's amazing that robots can walk because they say that it's also every time that robot puts down its foot, it has to make a perceived goal. It says, OK, here's a target area. You're going to put your foot down there. Yep. And then there's a guess, uh, you know, like at what point it's going to make impact, you know, uh, because when it makes impact, uh, it's actually following. So it's falling towards that target and then it makes impact and it stops, right? Yeah. But if it's if it's guess or it's uh it's anticipation of where it's going to hit is slightly off, it's gonna fall over. Yep. So that's amazing that the robots can walk. It is. It's actually a really uh like a balance is actually a deep learning problem. Um it is kind of funny the People who have been building video games uh, for years, this has been a known thing of just like balancing a foot. It's actually a really, uh, it's a pretty sophisticated problem. There's a lot of things involved. There's uh, your weight distribution between, you know, you can't just look at center of mass. Um, you need to know the weight distribution of like your arms are swinging and things like that. So to get that foot position all the way down to your toes, it's a, it's a trained process for our brains even. You know, that's why we don't just know how to walk. We need training data to figure out how to position all of our limbs in the correct way, plus how the mass changes. Um, you can just look at center of mass to find out if something is going to be balanced in a moment in time. But if you want to say it's going to be in balance in the next moment in time, well, that's, that's a complicated problem. You need to know, you know the weight distribution of all the individual pieces of the body. Um, and that's actually been 
that's been a known thing for like 3D animation for quite a long time, actually. Um, and then you know, physicists start picking it up, and now machine learning, now it's coming into robotics to balance out robots. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I, I really like all that stuff, especially the robots. It's uh, kind of funny we're kind of getting robots that are able to walk more quickly. We've had robots that can walk and do things for a while, but now we're seeing like robotic dogs that can kind of run and stuff like that, and even traverse you know, complex terrain. Not perfect, of course. They're not gonna be able to like dodge a baseball if you throw it at them. But it's getting better. Well, I think uh, our time's up, but uh, really enjoyed this conversation, uh, especially on, you know, the deep learning. I just had one last question. Is I've heard that um, that two layers can do a lot. So a two-layer network uh, is capable of recognizing a large number of symbols. What are they trying to do when they go up to 50 layers? Convolute, like, yeah, if you're having a lot of convolution layers in there, I mean, you're trying to get, like, some really hard-to-detect features. Um, and you could get that with facial, with faces as well, of trying to detect, like, a, look, we don't, you know, maybe you've got a problem where you don't want to just say, hey, we're trying to detect... Um, this person's face if they stand in front of this camera, but we're trying to detect it from any angle, any shadow, if they have a, even if they have a hat on or glasses, those really small features, um, then you need more, more layers. Those, the layers, the high level fe fe uh, layers, they can detect structure. And if you can detect structure at a high level, then you can detect a lower level structure at a lower level. Or you could be getting into things around like natural language processing. Um, you don't need 50, uh, you know, I wouldn't think that you'd need 50 layers for um, like context. Maybe, maybe you would if it's like something really sophisticated. Sentence structure doesn't get that complicated, I don't think anyway. Maybe, um, maybe it's used for... Uh... You know, the resources, well, I, told, I talked to one data scientist about it, and he said the resources to do a 50-layer network must be huge, you know, so <laughs> you have to be, you know, access to a, maybe a supercomputer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, do, you can do 50 layers if you want. It's just that amount of data to constitute that many layers is enormous. So maybe the government would be using it to try and figure out if somebody's going to commit a crime in the future based on all the inputs in their life, based oh, on wow. correlations with the environment, correlations with the stock market, correlations with uh -huh. like their, their neighborhoods. So if you're wow. gathering on that level, I mean, cause that's almost it, like a sci-fi book, you know, someone arrives and puts you in handcuffs and they said, you ask them why, why they're doing that. And they said, well, because based on your information in the future, we predict, Right, and it's a high correlation that you will be a criminal. So therefore, right, to arrest you now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would think that we could be a little bit smarter about a system like that, and maybe do something along the lines of, look, we've detected that this person is going to 
commit a crime or they're very likely to commit a crime. And we know based on even more data that these are the variables that's causing it. Things like, you know, they're in a high conflict um, relationship with another person. So they're very likely to become a criminal based on that. So maybe the government could intervene and like, you know, I don't know. I, I guess like call them up and offer the other person a, a better job and maybe that'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> That's uh, such an interesting uh, uh, scenario there. We live in a world where uh, things are known now where you just, in the past it was all speculative, but now with the, with these uh, feature detections that, you know, it can be known and the probabilities can be good too. You know, it's not like you're, you're guessing and then going out and going, well, geez, I hope I'm at least 5% correct, you know? Yeah. Cause I was, yeah. Cause I was watched this one where they, they were, they were trying to find lead pipes in, uh, I think it was Michigan. And, uh, then Google helped them. I think they may have used TensorFlow and they fed all the information into it. And they said, okay, here are the houses that are going to be at least 70% probable. They'll have lead pipes. So they went out and they were, they, you know, they replaced all these lead pipes, right? But then all of a sudden they hired this other company and paid $5 million and expect to get better results, right, for predictions. And what they found is that it dropped down to like 15%. And then they were like, what's going on? We paid you all this money. We wanted better predictions and you were only fighting 15% of these lead pipes. And what happened was is the political, some of the communities got upset. And they started insisting that they dig in every house, hold, mm-hmm. looking for the lead pipes. And these were uh, homes that weren't in the de- uh, prediction. And so it dropped the, per- the percentage down. Uh-huh. Okay, so the model was dependent on some of the inputs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so, uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, deep learning, you still, during the, the training process, you need to... Uh... <laughs> You need to have, you know, you still need to set up the data with the correct uh, you know, holdout set. It's not going to know about information that it doesn't know about. So that's a that's a problem with the training of the model. <laughs> All right, Tyler. Well, thanks for coming on, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, David. Hey, have a great one. Okay, bye.